Hello, listening people. Hello. What was that? Hello. Uh, what? Hello. 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 What, you got any more thing? <laughs> Talk to me, please, Bartek, in a normal way that everyone can understand. I let you in, Ryan. No, no, in Polish. That's what I'm saying. Talk to me in Polish. Uh, could you do that? Uh, today, Ryan. What does that mean? Today. Ah, of course, I know what you're saying. Okay, exactly. okay, move, Tosh. Thank you, we'll move along. Dobrze. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. What's good morning in Polish? Uh, dzień dobry. Dzień dobry. It's the Borat line. Oh, it is? Dzień dobry. You know what's very funny? I was talking to someone a, a little while ago for my other podcast that I host with my wife. We had some uh, a German guest on and he did like a bunch of greetings. Mm-hmm. And he threw that one in, in the middle of them. And I'm like, is that a Polish one? Or do they also say that in Germany? I don't know. I don't know if he was just throwing us a bone. But mm. uh, no, to get serious, to get real, we are Spit and Polish Presents. We are two young spitting gentlemen. We're no longer young. At what point do you say being young is past you now? Is young, Once you hit 30, young, you're no longer young, you're middle? Young adulthood ends at 35, I think. Oh, once you go beyond the Christ's age, you're no longer young? Well, he was 33. Yeah, I was saying we're once still you go at, beyond. We're still young at 34, don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. 35, though, middle-aged. Middle-aged. So we've got a few years left. So we're still yeah. young. And we're both Polish, uh, hence all of the Polish content at the beginning. That's how we keep in the top 10 Polish podcasts. We have to. It's a mandate mm. to do a little bit of Polish culture in the show. Uh, so Bartek says good morning. What's good afternoon? Um, I think they use the same one for morning and afternoon. But once you get to evening, it's dobry wieczór. It's longer when you get to that one. And good Wiecz. night? Well, they just say dobry wieczór. Oh, same. So, yeah. like, because good night means two separate things here, right? Like, you could say, like, oh, have a good night and, like, good night, like, Sleep well. Oh uh, yeah, we usually say like, good evening and good night. Uh, well, in in Polish specifically, Jane Dobre and Dobre Wieczór are greetings. You wouldn't use them as, you know, this farewells. Is, this is incredibly spooky, and that's how we're going to end <laughs> our spooky month with some Polish uh, language lessons because it is October. It is that time of year in which we like to embrace the more macabre elements of cinema because we talk about movies on this here podcast. We talk about movies that come recommended on our show Pictures Powwow, where we powwow about pictures that were on the screen. I do miss some of our other podcasting shows. We need to get back to doing the mystery box where mm. we'll get things even spookier from the mystery box. You know what I really liked about the mystery box? We always had guests. We did have guests, and, you know, we bring them on for Pictures Powwow. Sometimes mm. they even recommend films. Sometimes they even recommend them. Sometimes mm. I recommend them, and sometimes you recommend them. And, I mean, that's our cycle, isn't it? Where we start off with Bartek recommending a movie, then the week after that it is myself, and then the week after that is the it is the listening people, and sometimes those listening people get dragged in. Mm. Sometimes they get grabbed by the, the back of the neck, and, and just dragged along the ground, and we throw them into the recording booth and say, you better speak nice and clearly for everyone to hear who you are. And Bartek, you're responsible for this this week's guests, and this week's guest recommended a movie, so please inform us who, who we've uh, summoned here. I, I certainly like responsibility, and this week I am responsible for our good friend Nelson. Hi, Nelson. Hello, Bartek. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm I'm here too. Oh yes. Hello. <laughs> hello. Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, hello in any other languages, so I'll just settle for hello. Um Konnichiwa. Oh yes, Konnichiwa. Yes. Um, That's one. <laughs> a casual Polish one is Chesch. 
That's a good one. I've never heard that from you before. It's so. basically hi. Hi. Mm. Hola. Hola. Como oh, estas? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I lied, obviously, you straight know, away. You actually know uh, Bonjour? You know more than you think. It's like what we learned in media. Like you already what? know all this stuff. It's a little Bonjour, mystery no. um, <laughs> Buongiorno. So, Nelson, you were here. You were an associate of Bartek. You're one of his allies, minions, perhaps. Oh. Are you, would, oh. you say you're, Don't stretch would you say you're a goon, perhaps, to oh. Bartek? Yeah. Not the Australian term goon, which is, in fact, a love type of wine, but more of a goon in terms of hired muscle. Absolutely. A you know, goon, maybe even I a stooge. Think, I think I literally played a hired oh. muscle in one of your films once. You did, you did. I, I was wearing like a balaclava. You remember it more than I do, I think. I because, don't know whose house it was, but it was some basement. <laughs> I've watched this student film of no, you haven't. they're talking about. No. It's a wonderful film. Oh, no? no. Was there another balaclava one you made me watch? Have There's... I ever shown you a film with a bad club? Yes, you have. One of your friends, you made me watch, or mm. was it Reese? There was a student film production. In which oh, that was of... Reese. That was a that was a beanie, not a bad clover. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was okay. worried that my content had escaped my archives. No, I never yeah. saw that. So, Nelson, you're, you're one of Bartek's uh, high school friends, uh, colleagues, people, and we were told, all of us that listen to this podcast and even participate, that Bartek just happened to run into you. And uh, some conversations started emerging, and now we're here to talk about a movie that you, in fact, recommended. So please tell us a bit about yourself and what movie you lobbed our way. Yeah, absolutely. So me and Bartek met originally in media and drama class. So we're a couple of uh, drama kids at heart, and mm-hmm. and uh, I definitely dabble in media and that kind of thing, making films, and um, I've always been a lover of film. It's been a, quite a while, though, actually, since I've uh, I kind of gave filmmaking and all that kind of creative stuff a bit of a rest through the dramatic COVID period and mm-hmm. haven't revisited that stuff. So this is kind of a uh, a bit of a reopening of uh, that creative brain or mystery mm. box, you know. And <laughs> uh, uh, at the moment, uh, I think we when me and Bartek caught up, we were talking about the podcast, obviously, and... He asked if I had some a film or anything like that that would be a good suggestion, and uh, talk to me came up, and you know, and I th- mm. I think I'd seen that as like you know an Australian indie film and a good kind of um, I don't know a good example something good to discuss. Yeah, it was a new film too. Mm. I was actually concerned because Bartek yeah. said it, and I was like, oh, can we watch it mm. without having to go to the cinema, or mm. is this a cinema outing? Because we haven't done. Mm. One so relatively uh, hot off the presses, have yeah. we, Bartek? We were going to do Ma, but then it never came to Australia, sadly. Like, it, it was advertised here, and then it never released in cinema. And, we've, mm. and now I own Ma on DVD, ready ready and waiting for a spooky month to bring her out and about. But Coming next year. <laughs> we were going to do two movies at the cinemas. The original Sonic film with the ugly Sonic. We did oh, we joke gonna, about uh, if we were going to do that. I thought we were just going to see it. <laughs> uh, well, we, we, if we're going to see it, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And Ma. And the, now Talk To Me is the closest, I think... When Bartek said this a couple of weeks ago, I looked into it and it was like still in some cinemas yeah, down I, I here. Think, and I was like, oh boy, I think I is, literally talked. I think I literally talked about it last episode. Um, yeah, I, I told you like, oh yeah, uh, Nelson's recommended this film. And then you and our friend Will, who saw the message, were like, isn't that in cinemas right now? I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh, no. But it is no longer, at least down here, it may be where everyone else is listening because it first came... From Australia, it was at the Adelaide Film Festival, which is 
promoted at the beginning of the movie. It's like mm. one of the opening <laughs> logos. It's yeah. like, hey, by the way, Adelaide exists. It's a, <laughs> South Australia exists. I'm so used to like New South Wales and Victoria getting the little logo at the front of a, a of a TV show or movie because they're the states that yeah. usually get the funding to do uh, films and TV shows. And even more recently, video games. I, I play the, the moving out video games and they're funded, they're Australian and they're funded by the Victorian government. And I'm just sitting back oh. going, I don't know if I've ever really seen a video game have like the, we were helped created by a state government <laughs> thing before. So I was like, ah, I'm used to that with the, movies. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing I can think of related to Adelaide is I remember there was a Jimquisition episode a couple of years ago. Like some guy was trying to make a GTA clone set in Adelaide and it was like all over a current affair like this is awful how dare they do this because you know australia it was we're called known, like p platers or something because we, we are known as for being a nation that is really really relaxed about video game violence we yeah. just yeah. love easy access to video games that are incredibly violent and sexual uh that's a joke of course but we're talking about <laughs> talk to me a new film from obviously 2022 slash 2023 this is a film that was directed and created and written by, does not star, surprisingly, uh, the creative team of uh, the YouTube channel Raka Raka, uh, who they've been around for a very long time. That mm. YouTube channel has been around the block. They've had quite su- quite the success and they finally moved into the filmmaking industry. They've pretty much been making movies on their YouTube channel. They've always been uh, uh, very prestigious in that, industry on youtube because when they do their sketches because they're sketch comedy they really have a very um a great flair for the cinematic approach especially when it comes to action uh, and so it was actually quite a surprise in my eyes from the minimal i'll say minimal consumption of their content that they have done a horror film as their debut instead of an action movie and a horror film that does have some cool stunts in it but it's not really uh, a physical action mm. set piece. It's actually quite a slow-moving, methodical urban legend type. So, be like I've smoshed it a war drama. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like if uh, Shane Dawson did a horror film. Oh wait, he did do a horror movie, uh, and it was bad. It was called Smiley. But yes, oh, yeah. this is an example of a good YouTuber movie. I was thinking that while watching it because yeah, I haven't seen any of them, but I've seen like all the I hate everything. You've seen videos. all of the Channel Awesome videos uh, movies, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I've seen those. But those weren't, like, <laughs> released for profit, I don't think. I mean, They some, were sold later down the line. Th- that's released for profit. That's still a movie. But they were freely uploaded look, online. Look, look, is Talk there. to Me as good as the Linkara movie? No, it isn't. Uh, I haven't seen that. You've exactly. seen more of that than I have. Top of the fourth wall of the movie, it's not as good. But... Just to give everyone a bit of notice, we will be talking about Talk To Me in more detail, more depth, but uh, if you have not had the chance to watch it, we recommend that you do. Bartek, how would you sell this movie to someone who is not deeply familiar? I was really unaware of what the contents of the movie was. I only knew who made it. That was the appeal. I saw the poster. And I kind of rolled my eyes and went, oh, yeah, it's one of these movies. Like, one of yeah, these, you were... like, smile. One of those, like, oh, it's a... Most of what I knew was based on what you were saying last episode. And I really listened to that last night. And, yeah, you mentioned something like, oh, it's about, like, a hand. Like, teenagers find a hand. And, like, the, the thing that I immediately jumped to was, you know, the great unappreciated masterpiece. Uh, oh, God, I'm blanking the name. It was in my head just a moment ago. Uh, Wish Upon. 
Yes, I thought about Wish Upon as yeah, well. Yeah, Wish Upon is a, it's a great film, Nelson. Oh. It's, it's so bad, it's good kind of thing. I haven't seen it. Um, it's based on the Chinese monkey paw legend thing. So obviously, you know, people make wishes and there's like a, ooh, but there's a twist to the wishes yes. kind of thing. Um, so when I heard that this film was about a hand, I thought, oh, okay, is it going to be something like that where it's like, oh, normal people with this mystical item and then, you know, shit goes wrong. And, like, on paper, I was right, but the approach was fairly different. Yes. So, Talk to Me is very much a, a modern-day urban legend-type story. Yeah. Some teenagers, some young people stumble across a mystical item that grants them the ability to commune with the dead, and they mess with things in a way that they should not. Mm. Uh, also, it's a story about addiction. So mm. there you go. Yeah. Enjoy. Go watch it for yourself because we're going to get into more details of this. Now, Bartek, you and I, no familiarity with this before coming in. Like Outside of just uh, the creators involved and maybe even a poster really had nothing to it. You you, you hadn't even heard about Talk To Me? That's, this isn't one of those movies of the year that has crossed your uh, no, radar? I hadn't heard of it. I don't know how aware I was of the YouTube channel, Rucka Rucka. Um, you, when you and Will told me that, like, oh, that's that's in cinemas at the moment, you know, that was news to me. I'm like, but it says 2022 on Wikipedia. Because it was at a film festival last yeah. year. This time last year. Uh, why I'm actually surprised that you never saw Rock Rocker because they seem like something up your alley a bit. Like they they are really interesting. I'd recommend them. They're not, like they're not my they were never my favorite YouTube channel, but they 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 mm. did a lot of cool stuff, especially in the context of the time they came out. Like if you watch their stuff from like early 2010s and compare it to Nostalgia Critic, it's kind of amazing of like who can <laughs> use special effects to make a joke work. Um, well, who knows? Maybe at some point someone showed me something of it, but I've, I've no recollection. Uh, Nelson, you're the one who lobbed this, recommended this, uh, put it on the desk. And I so mm-hmm. tell us a bit about uh, your history with this film. Did you see this in the cinema? Are you familiar with the creators involved? Your thoughts on it overall? Yeah, absolutely. So I was very familiar with uh, Rakaraka's work. I was an early subscriber, uh, funnily enough. In high school, probably was uh, in 2020, uh, the time where I ingested most of their content on the mm. regular. Um, and then I think they, they evolved from their um, kind of backyard wrestling and action-based uh, and uh, pop culture-based uh, content to, I think they, I kind of lost track with them around 2012, 2013, where they, I think they got, they went over to the States and they got fairly kind of, they became more of a commercialized product mm. and they're in with like the Logan Paul and all those kind of things. And I kind of lost interest funnily enough. And uh, I think it was fairly recently, probably around 20. 2023, funnily enough, where their promotions probably started popping up on my YouTube and on my TikTok and all that kind of thing. I'm like, oh, Racka Racka, is that a YouTube channel from 10 years ago that's managed to stay relevant and evolve? That's very interesting. And of course, course, because they're Australian, there's a part of me that's like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe they're good. Maybe, you know, I hope they're good, you know, and hope it's successful. Um, Because as someone myself who like dreams of making, you know, content on themselves and becoming popular and all that kind of thing, it's just a little bit of a fantasy. So seeing other people achieve, that's always, you know, always exciting. Yeah. So I saw that and, uh, you know, I jumped on, I think it was Amazon Prime or something. I'm just giving all these plugs away. But, um, you know, um, and I watched it and I was surprised. It had a fairly cliche premise that, uh, you know, we can, you know, you're instinctively rolling your eyes at another kind of teenagers do something naughty and, you know, the uh, the occult and all that kind of thing. 
but uh, it was fairly tight the way it was written, the way it was done. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was also not um, looking forward to like <laughs> the premise of it because it did have a lot of those cliche things from when it started, but also even the promotional material, like the poster I made fun of last week, I said, oh, I saw the image of the spooky hand, and I said, I don't need to see that, and our guest last episode, one of them said, oh, did you not want to see it because you would be scared? I'm like, oh, no, modern movies movies don't scare me. And uh, because there's just a glut of these types, and I actually said, like, oh, Blumhouse, I was actually surprised to see it's an A24 movie, but or at least adjacent to them. But I really am not as big into like modern horror as much. Even some of the more slow, dready, artsy-fartsy A24 type horror movies, I'm like, I can take them or leave them. But I got over that hump as the movie went along. I was really enamored with the filmmaking and the acting. I thought it was really spectacular. And having to remind myself that this is a a debut, this is a first uh, feature-length film for these uh, creators, and yet they bring in an experience and a voice of people who have made many movies, and of course they have in their own right. Their, Their YouTube channel is an example of that, where they're basically basically creating short films and they've been in the industry but they just have such a level of expertise the craftsmanship is something to admire and the uh, straight-faced approach to what is basically a well-trodden story is appreciated it actually kind of makes me think of uh, things like a hellraiser or something back in the day where you have something that is perhaps familiar, but it has its unique little flares, but it's presented with such an honesty in its uh, in its artistry that you can't help but be won over by it. So you could easily see this being uh, handled poorly as a film. Like, even the premise of it of, like, this ceramic hand that grabs you and all of that, you could see how this could be Blumhouse's Truth or Dare or or Smile or, or a whole bunch of those kind of movies where they just have their gimmick, their spooky gimmick. Ooh. And this one really managed to jump over that hurdle also because it focuses in on character and themes. Mm. Uh, what did you think of it, Bartek? A lot of very similar thoughts. Yeah, I really love the performances, the the filmmaking, the camera work is really great. Uh, really great atmosphere. I like the characters themselves. Um, I liked, and, and parts of it later on were a little bit undermined, but I liked how well established uh, the whole supernatural thing was early on. Like we had these ca- the characters who were like hosting the <laughs> the parties that were doing it, like had all these rules. It's like you really got the sense that they worked out how this all works. Um, and yeah, it, it was interesting to see that it was... We, we've done horror films before where they had something like this, even like Wish Upon, where it's like, oh, you see the discovery of this thing and them working it out. But then here, the thing is like a social media sensation kind of thing. <laughs> so it, it kind of, it really feels like they're playing around with the whole horror thing of like, oh, the mysterious thing 
like they're they're yeah kind of making fun of it in a way oh of course and it's not taken seriously at all because the supernatural doesn't exist in the real world Hmm. uh most believe and this is taking place in a facsimile of the real world but in this case the dead can be communed with and you can just cut off a psychic's hand or (laughs) oh no it's a devil worshiper i heard and yeah it's not like another white people shit uh yeah and (laughs) I really was head over heels for the lead performance. Mm. You know it's going to be a good time when a lead character has like an iconic piece of uh, uh, clothing. She's wearing like this big yellow fluffy jacket at the fir- in the first half of the movie. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's going to be like the visual you'll associate with this character, like yellow as the color, and you'll think of her with her short hair and those big eyes that the actress has, and then they make them even bigger when they have the contacts and whatever kind of makeup and effects. But it's like, you know you're in for a good time when like your horror movie lead has like an iconic piece of clothing. Mm. I mean, Bartek, you're a big fan of, like in a way, some horror-type games as well, and you kind of get that, whether it is from your kind of weird little Japanese-y puzzly crap or your silent hills or whatever kind of things like in video games you have like the character with their iconic little piece of attire on and in this movie you get that too and it's not even uh nailed down to it's the villain that has it like the villain Mm. in this is just a hand i was gonna say it's like oh it's like her uh michael myers mask or something like that but she's not the villain (laughs) no but sometimes you get that with the protagonist where they have their iconic little outfit like like the escape from new york movie and it was like He's got his iconic outfit. When this eventually becomes a long-running media film franchise, this will be the iconic outfit from the first film. There is a joke <laughs> that the uh, the creators said about, like, oh, yeah, that actress, she's great. You'll see her again in Talk To Me 5. Like, it's going to be the <laughs> Scream franchise. I mean, I did read that apparently they're making a sequel and it's Talk Number 2 Me. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. That's how you, <laughs> how you do it. So, Nelson, you did not see this in the cinema. No, no, I uh, very much a homebody. So if I have the ability to watch it at home, I, I will. I've had uh, recently too many poor experiences at the cinema with people just on their phone or talking or just generally being present while I'm around, and that's very annoying. So um, the I, I did enjoy watching this at home, and I think I watched it with a few friends as well. Uh, another night, with I host a, like a little fortnightly movie night at my house. We watch all kinds of films. And, uh, yeah, no, it was very, it was very interesting. I, f- I find, uh, films that are set in Australia with an Australian cast and an Australian setting, I feel like you've got a 50, 50 chance of like being, for me anyway, getting like pulled in immediately or like thrown out immediately. Like it either sticks or it doesn't stick, but if it does stick, then you do, I feel like that enhances the, the, um, the, you're drawn into it more yeah. yeah, and the horror hits a little bit better and all that kind of thing. But uh, there's been other Australian films where you see it and you just cringe out of your pants and you're just like, oh, this is, this is terrible. Um, but this was, you know, it was, it wasn't people pretending to be Australian. Obviously it was a full Australian cast and, uh, in very, it was very engaging. I felt, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think previously for Spooky Months, we've done, uh, Wolf Creek 2 and The Loved Ones. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Both fun films uh, for Australian ones, yes. Mm. And uh, there's something about the Australian sensibility uh, that you can use very effectively for writing characters uh, because we're, 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 we're larrikins. We take things a little bit too easily. We can be very matter-of-fact as well and kind of jovial and fun 
and you put that into your horror movie setting with a bunch of teens and it really works like the opening of this you get the classic cold open sting of like the previous victim and owner of this item and oh how will that connect later in the movie but the opening is you get the the classic scary movie font like the scratchy writing and i thought oh it's bye bye man (laughs) um but again it's done with such sincerity it manages to overcome the cliches and the tropes of it but you have the horror movie opening but it's with the most aussie guy like he has like the long hair of course he's a tradie you find out (laughs) later i'm like of course he is did you see what he looked like and did you hear him did you hear his name like him calling out the name all the time and and it was just such a aussie thing of like these background characters being like you know responding me like nah man i haven't seen them and i'm like yeah yeah this is fun this is fun we, we have a, just kind of a fun vibe and mm. so when you have a movie in which you will have people making dumb decisions you get the benefit of them being dumb teenagers who are high or drunk and also they're just aussies and we're kind of dumb and Silly mm. like that. I mean, for yourself, Bartek, we've done a numerous amount of Aussie films on our pod, and there's just something about the uh, the Australian culture and identity that just has a certain um, lightness to it that adds to a film. I think. How do you feel? Yeah, like you mentioned, like the party there, where you know it feels very Aussie, he's a tradie, and there's casualness. But like even in the like karma scenes where it's like you know the two friends talking to each other like the two girls like in the bedroom and you know there's been like a bit of cheekiness between like oh look i'm really sad this is like a you know sad traumatic time for me you need to comfort me right now there is that sort of like levity to a serious situation um and even with the the young guy Riley and his friends, you know, they're mm. it's like, oh, why are these guys friends? But it's like, oh yeah, you know, they just rib on each other like that a little bit. And they and they're growing up in like mm. a shitty town. Yeah, there's no one else. And this isn't so much Adelaide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that'll never be a capital city. Um, and like even when I remember there was one scene where you see their high school, and I was just blown away by like, oh my god, this is the most Australian-looking mm. school I've ever seen in my life. Oh, the school uniforms, <laughs> yeah, well, school, school uniforms, uniforms, yeah. But but like you know, the very outdoorsy schools, like I'll look mm. at all these small buildings that they have to walk between. It's not like the <laughs> American high school; it's like the one big building with three floors. Or oh, oh yeah, but I was even with the uniforms. I was like, oh, she's in her sports uniform, and she's not like I was, yeah, I was having yeah, that the little distinction laugh between about sport that. Uniform I was like, oh look, there's regular. a sports uniform. Oh, she's got sport that day. She doesn't. She doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is interesting because I assume they were in the same grade. And for me, I had, had sports day in our grade. It was like on the one, like on the same day for mm. our year. Uh, I mean, if you did PE classes, you may have sports stuff. But sports day for us was on like a Wednesday. Oh, like athletics day? Yeah. Well, yeah. Every Wednesday we'd do like- Oh, you're back PE class day. Yeah. Yeah. Like our physical, like we would have to go out and do something. Right. Uh, at least at our school, because again, we grew up in little. I grew up in a rinky-dink little country town, so they're like, "Get out, <laughs> go to the pool, go to the lawn bowls, do soccer down the road, do by, something by the, away from us." By the time Nelson and I met, we were done with PE. Yeah, and that, that we're assuming these uh, guys are in year twelve and they're studying PE. That's quite well, a serious they, they can commitment, drive. and they, they can drive. So one of them is at least. So one of them's doing PE for <laughs> yeah. their HSC. Yeah, or whatever they that's eat. fantastic. That's I don't great. know what it is in South Australia. The equivalent. The, of, uh, well, it's not VC. No, it's exactly. Victoria. <laughs> it's a SA. Just 
someone can let us know. Yeah. South Australians, let us know. <laughs> rocka rocka guys, let us know. I know you're listening to this. You're really on the edge of your seat to hear what we have to in, say. In your LA mansion? Um, mm, well, yes. in their Adelaide mansion, perhaps. Who knows? They may still have Three one Three bedroom house. Ad LA mansion. Oh, there you go. Thank you, Bartek. But uh, there, there was a lot of that Aussie flair. I mean, there was a dead kangaroo at the start of this. Oh, dying. Uh, I think that was quite... I I found myself very uh, happy to hold myself back when I saw that because I feel like for any non-Australian audience, they would be like, oh my God, that's horrible. But for most Australians, that would have been like just a typical day on on the road. (laughs) Like, I don't think that would have phased anyone. (laughs) Typical Uh, typical day in the Melbourne suburbs? Absolutely. I I related to uh, main character's friend the most, the the, uh, the one who's the older sister of Mm -hmm. of Riley. I related to her the most. Yes, I related to her the most. Because when that scene was happening, I was like, why don't you just call Wires or RSPCA or something? And then immediately, because our main character's like contemplating, like, ooh, do I take them out of their misery? Or like, there's an arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then she does it and she drives away and leaves it to bleed to death mm. and, and have horrible, horrible pain, uh, which is ironic for her at the end. I laughed because I was like, oh, come on. The, a real person would not even... Most people wouldn't even do the whole, I'll run over it. It would just be like, oh, I'll just call Wires or RSPCA. They'll deal with it. Like, I know... It's not like she doesn't know where she is. Like, she, she's right... <laughs> you are literally in the shot. You see down the road a building. I'm like, come on. You know where you are. Even, even there's the, no excuse. And that's what my priority was. I was like, younger, there's no excuse for this. Even the young guy was like, should we call like a vet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You call like someone, but then the the yeah the, the the friend was just like, "Why didn't you call RSPCA?" I'm like, "Thank you, yeah, thank yeah. you for fuck's sake." I'm this person. I'm this character. You're our main character. You're weird, and she is very weird. Uh, I'll give her that. And I, I I liked very much the choices made with the families in this because our main character Mia, she's suffering grief and loss of her mother. It's a really harsh backstory. It's like the one year anniversary of the death. Two. Mm. Two. two I think. And she is so focused in on her friend's family. We get so much of her friend's family. Like, hey, here's here's how they work. Here's what the mother does as a job. Here's this. Here's this. We know their their fucking timetable at the end of the movie. Like, how the. She'll be at work at this time, so we can do this. But Mia's dad, we never really get to. for 90% of the movie, we barely even get a clear shot of his face. Mm. I was really surprised by that because I was like annoyed when I was watching him. Like, I was thinking in my script brain, I was like, oh, well, if you want me to actually care about the dad, you should make him a, a character, honestly. But mm. it goes into the strength of the movie that she is abandoning her one remaining family to the point in which the film is abandoning him too because. I was really was taken back like in the first scene with him he's in the background we don't even see his mm. face and there's so many other shots where we don't see his face and we only see his face when the movie really needs to get to it for the spooky stuff but I could see them be continuously being like no 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 this is like an episode like this is peanuts we're not going to show the adults yeah, th- this this is a character who we only get secondhand information about him from a character who's of trying to avoid him. So, and we're empathizing with our main character, presumably. So, we walk into this characterization with a bias. And then we see how that gets played with later on when her perception of reality is also in question. With a spooky movie, they have their thing, whether it's a monster or whether it is a killer or there's a ghost or a demon and there's 
a lot of rules. You get the, here's how the rules work, and you said it, Vartek, we get them established early on, we get one or two twists upon it as the narrative unfolds, but I laughed out loud so much at when she wants to know the history of the ownership of this item, and the guy's like, well, do you want me to get a fucking spreadsheet and we can just do it? Because transactions, in, yeah. in every one of these movies, they have the scene, like Wish Upon has the scene of who is a previous owner of this and where did they get it? And oh my God, this has been a thing that's inflicting pain for generations. Oh no, it's Jumanji. You know, uh, oh no. And, and I just laughed at the fact that this movie teased at that scene happening and then said nah yeah it also take it it's not important it also teased the thing of like oh there's a right hand out there somewhere Ooh, i think we see that don't we yeah at the end i'm pretty sure that's i rewatched it and they were shaking left hands so i think that you're right it's left hand the new owners of the current hand that's funny yes it's out there doing stuff that they indicated Mm. it's doing things yeah watch talk to the number two me where both hands are in it and they shake Oh, what happens if they did that? So they won't be able to say, talk to me. That's what activates it. Because I did have a good chocolate when they tried to get the comatose boy to <laughs> talk to him. It was like, hey, he needs to say, talk to me. He won't say it. He's going to talk to fucking him. tube in his mouth. That was a good try. Talk to him, please. Mm. Uh, for, for you, Nelson, what are the type of horror movies that attract you? What are the type of... Uh, creepy, crawling, darkness, spooky horror things that get under your skin and ones that you like in movies? Oh, horror films, horror films. I've only recently kind of delved into horror films because I'm a bit of a baby, so I only kind of um, unleash it on my friends when they come over and we all watch one. (laughs) Um, I think last one that got to me was The Babadook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that was a uh, that was a good one. I think that was another Australian based. I can't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I read in the true that the the two guys that made this film worked on it in some capacity. I wouldn't be surprised. Of course, yeah. that's a small industry down here. It's probably everyone's everyone's worked on everything down that's happened here. Um, yeah, but like those kind of um, how would you describe it? Just spooky, uh, scare psychological horrors. You mm. know, I, I, I like. Um, I think this one was more of like a body shock, body horror. Um, kind of film. There wasn't a lot of jump scares or no. moving in the darkness kind of stuff, which I thought was good. I thought it was more of a uh, shock from you know the violence or from the uh, from uh, the action happening on set and the, in the makeup and everything like that, which was all very very good. And I think they had a few actors there, or at least one actor who was like an old lady, and she just like had, took her teeth out and they mu- made her up, and she looked horrified. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. Man, the, the, those spirits, they yeah. they had a good poor look to dental them. plans. Yes, <laughs> they all looked fucked up and gross, and they, they looked so slimy. Well, one yeah. in particular looked very slimy. The like, one if I touched any of around. them, I'd need to wash my hands. Yeah. And you are, you're holding their hands, so there you go. I I am a big fan of this approach to the, the, the monster stuff in which it's not really about the spirits, right? The spirits are just a means to an end. They are a means to an end to explore a, a theme that is universal in this case, which I really took it as this is using all of the spooky, creepy hand to look at addiction, whether it is addiction to substances or addiction to grief or selfishness. Like, 
the main character becomes an addict to the paranormal. She needs it. She craves it. She wants others to have it and so that they can uh, get it. You, you, It's really hammered in when, no, he's too young to use it. I don't want my young brother doing it's it. very and, allegorical at times. Uh, yeah, but in a way that I found to be enjoyable. I didn't mm. think it was too ham-fisted with it. And it has one of my favorite things too, which is uh, likable fucked up main character pays for their sins and they slowly lose their morality, their dignity, their mind. And we know it's happening and we know, but they are unable to get off the path. They are damned. We are watching a main character who is damned. And I am a sucker for that. I, again, I I referenced Hellraiser earlier. Those movies do that a lot too, where They've signed a deal with the devil, and you cannot back out of that. And there's going to be innocent people who get hurt along the way for their need to satisfy whatever it is. And in this case, it's her consuming grief that she needs to be uh, fulfilled. Even when she gets the literal answers to the things she wants to know, it's not enough. It's never going to be enough. What is the line? Well... She crossed it, and everyone had to pay for it, and uh, including her, especially her. And I, I really like the emphasis on on character things there. I, I like that they were unafraid to make her an unlikable person, mm, or give her yeah unlikable decisions to make. I was thinking a lot throughout this film about Starry Eyes, which we did two years ago, um, and this one worked a lot better for me. Like once the kind of horror stuff was happening to our main character. Again, like you were saying, I really like that there was still a whole emphasis about the rest of the cast interacting with our main character. I remember with Starry Eyes, once it kind of started to become like the very hot body horror kind of thing, it was mostly just our main character alone in the house. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, you know, we were seeing the people around her, how they weren't having these visions. They were trying to comprehend, like, what are you going through? What's going on? Um, and just seeing how they were unable to help her in the end. I agree also with you about how, yeah, I liked seeing, you know, our likable main character being uh, corrupted by these influences. She's not a pragmatic person. She's a young person who's, uh, who's a dickhead. She's a real piece of shit. <laughs> no, well, yeah, She's I... not going to do the logical, like, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street thing where it's like, okay, to, to get Freddy, we must put traps in our dreams and we can bring him out in theory. No, no, no. Our main character knows all the, the magical lore stuff and, and just throws it to the side because she's so sad that she needs to uh, cure her sadness rather than think things through for a single fucking moment. And Bartek, you're a teacher. <laughs> Did these children in this movie kind of bring some some experiences to your mind because I also work in tandem with teens and I was like, oh boy, these 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 teens, these are real, uh, as we would say in Australia, uh, Dero. Um, <laughs> Dero's, they're real losers. All of them are losers. Like, none of them are cool except for probably the tradie guy that got stabbed at the beginning. He's like the coolest person. Oh, I don't know. The, the guys that owned the hand, they had a confidence to them. I could see them. But then they were cool. losers as the movie went along. It's like, oh, no one actually likes once, you. Once consequences came up to them, they did become a lot more timid despite you know yeah, their, their uh, big presences. I was, I was curious. I thought they were going to be part of the solution, but they quickly kind of just threw the hand at them and said, yeah, you're problem, Chow, see you later. Well, there did come a point where they came back into it for a little bit, like when they went to talk to the brother of the guy mm-hmm. from the beginning. 
Yeah, they're drug dealers. That's what they are. Mm. They're only mm, friends yes, right. because they have the substance. There's a great joke. I can't remember which comedian it said said this, but there's a joke of, uh, you know, when you're an addict of a drug, you have to hang out at your dealer's place and listen to their jokes and have a good time because you need the pot. Mm. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> if you did not have to do that you would not be doing that at all but it's what you have to do and that's who they are like no one likes these people but they have a thing that no one else has which is a creepy hand that gets you all fucked up and and they will do anything like they'll go over the time limit they'll film you without your permission they'll do whatever because hey we own the hand. We can do whatever the fuck we want. They're garbage. They're real terrible people. <laughs> I remember with me, because I mentioned like, oh, I was really impressed how, you know, they had the the rules set up of like, okay, you yeah, know, we'll time it for the 90 seconds. And they were always very consistent with that. They were always consistent with, all right, when the 90 seconds is coming up, you've got to pull the hand off. And sometimes they struggled with it, but they always managed to do it. And then as soon as it comes off, they blow out the candle. Um, but then once the young boy starts to do it and they start to like change up the rules a little bit, you start seeing it slip. Like they don't even remember if they blew out the candle, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, literally the first time we see the hand used, they fucked up their own rule because they had her on for longer than 90 seconds. Hence, mm. the drowned ghost is haunting her throughout the rest of the movie. That's what my interpretation mm. of it is. I don't know if you got that. From the movie, yeah. who's the first one that used the hand again? Our main character. Yeah, was oh, didn't we see one before that, like on the phone? Oh, but I'm talking about like when oh, we okay, actually get yeah. to see it, the effects the... Right. of it. You know, like when we actually get to see the proper yeah. usage of the hand. Okay, I agree. I agree. I thought there was one beforehand, but yeah, we see a guy freaking out on the phone, and yeah. it's like that's crazy. But like, you know what I'm talking yeah, I, about? Yeah, I know. But the main character has the possession throughout the film, and they fucked it up. Yeah. She went over 90 seconds and then she's haunted by the yeah. ghost but that to be f- she let in. But to be mm. fair, that was the best one ever. <laughs> yeah. They said that. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, that's a theme in most horror films, that the, the character that's in the most despair and, and grief or, you know, sad, are the most vulnerable. And then, mm. you know, she's uh, she's the one that got affected most probably because, you know, the spirit identified her as being in that state. And I think the the drowned ghost or the drowned spirit is the established antagonist in this in this film, whether you catch it the first time or not. Mm. Um, you know, you might not because it does do the classic kind of uh, horror trope twist where we, you know, you've, she's got her mother talking to her through the through the ghost. And, you know, we're going, was this actually the mother or is it some kind of, you know, is it a spirit playing a trick? But there are a few scenes throughout the uh, we, where we see the mother spirit representation and she's she's hurt. But when she's really going in for the manipulation, you can see on the makeup like this water and she's and making go and you see it and you hear it in the audio. And uh, you can see. So if you, I didn't catch it the first time, so I fell for the all like, oh, the mother's just trying to what a good idea. Like, <laughs> what a nice ghost. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But then the second time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Become, and that's um, it's quite good because that's quite a layered narrative and it's quite well done um and uh, kind of leads to these characters and how a lot of them have like this pre-done backstory that they seem like fairly in-depth characters that have been written well not everything's you know spoon-fed to the audience and explained painfully there's like i think one of the things i came away from the second time is the 
I think is uh, Jade's mother, that character. Mm-hmm. And she's just like angry the whole time, like always. And uh, there's no dad. And like there seems to be some kind of weird tension there that just never gets explained. Yeah, get your shit off the like, table get while your he's, sh- al- he's already yeah. packing up. I side with the mother <laughs> in this movie. Everything she said and did, I was like, yeah, that's a parent. Uh, <laughs> and then, in fact, I, I, I disagreed with her when she let Mia back in the room. I'm like, no, 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 no. You she should not so... have backed down from your anger. I mean, I get it. She said, yeah. they tested, there were no drugs. I shouldn't have been angry at you for that. But she I'm like, no, 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 no. She was so much calmer in that scene. I thought that was like part of the hallucination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I There are some weird choices and we'll get there. But uh, yeah, I like the manipulation aspect of, of the spirits in this, in which they say if we go over 90 seconds, one will stay with you. They'll stay with you because they want to be, you know, they want to linger and stay. And so she goes over that 90 seconds and the rest of the movie, instead of it just being that one scene in particular where the the drowned spirit is in the corner and she crawls over and she's possessed our main character to suck the boyfriend, like the boy's feet, Mm. uh, the ghost uses the images of people she knows, specifically her mother, to manipulate her into doing things that the demonic or the spirits want. So they want the Riley character to die so that they could have his soul, they could do whatever, they can keep it. Because the rule is, the longer that they're there for, the less their power is sustained and the more that they'll just be thrown off over time. And that is... I believe still the case at the end of the movie, but these spirits are like, no, 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 we want this young boy. He's so tasty and lovely. We want it. If you kill him for us, he'll stay with us. So go kill him. But I'll say it in a way where it's like, I'm your mother and I'm saying it like, Hmm. you've got to help him. You know, it's so sweet. And it's so, um, the mother backstory is an interesting one as well, just on a dramatic level. I think it is something that people who have uh, lost family members or friends to uh, an incident that it's hard to tell if it was suicide or not are are left wondering if it was indeed on purpose or was accidental. And it's one that I don't see get uh, used too often in a narrative of that type of grief in particular in which it's like, did you take your own life or was it an actual accident? And uh, we get several interpretations of it during the course of events. I believe the dad (laughs) and the note he read, but there were also things about like how they found the mother with the with her nails scratched up and they was trying to get there. so is there's a mystery there but at the center of it is such a tragic event that i can't help but feel sympathy for our main character it is also held up because our main character is played by an actress who is doing such a like phenomenal job that I can't help but be wooed by her character, like by the character, because the actress is just so magnetic of a screen presence. Yeah, the, the writing and performance, you really got the sense of like, okay, if this is a character who is all about, uh, this is a joke, almost feels like all about family kind of thing. It's like, oh, Star Wars. Um, it's about family. It's about That's family. Because she's got, she's got problems with her father, problems with dead mother. She's basically integrated herself in her friend's family so she almost feels like a second big sister to yeah she's an only child yeah only child that's another point um and you really 
like before even the supernatural thing comes in, you see the masks that she puts on around all these different characters. Like, you know, when she's with Riley and picking him up, she's like cool, big sis kind of character. When she's with her friend, it's like, oh, teenage girls. When she's with her ex-boyfriend, it's like, oh yeah, we're just friends. She's got a dynamic with uh, their mum. And you even get a little bit of what other characters think of her, like the the people that own the hand. It's like, oh, she's, she's not cool. But then like when she you know, gets into doing the hand thing. They're like, all right, all right, we can get with this. So she's very well established all in a pretty short span of time, the whole beginning part of the film. What we get to know about her when she's not having to perform for her peers and her friends and her family is that she's incredibly lonely. Mm. She holds the boy's leg. She puts her arm up against it when she's asleep, when she's trying, because she wants connection. She She's desperate, desperately in need of that connection that she had when her mother was around. We see her, her TikToks and her videos of her and her mom, and it was this really uh, symbiotic relation. They were almost the same type of person in a lot of ways from the brief glimpses that we got. And that's a thing, too. Like, we're only seeing the mother from the point of view of the grieving daughter. Who was the mother? She's more than that. She's more than what Mia thinks of her to be. And that's why when an event like this happens, it can be really just like, it can just destroy those around you because, you know, people perceive one another through their own, through their own uh, lenses. And for, for Mia, it's like her mother was this happy, passionate, vibrant person. And then, For the dad, there was more going on with your mother there. And I've been having to hold this from you because I know that you had this this ideal of who your mother was and I didn't want to ruin that for you. And, Mm. you know, it's a real... uh, it's a great dilemma for like a family drama and that could be a family drama in itself. And that's when you throw in all of the fantastical. And that's really what makes a good horror movie work is if you can strip away the demonic and if you can strip away the ghouls and goblins and ghosts, and there's still uh, a story that you are uh, emotionally affected by, that's how you get good genre material. It's not just horror, but you do that with sci-fi, you do that with fantasy, you know, you have to have uh, a, a core story there that we can ground ourselves with. That's not always applicable, you don't need that all the time, but, you know, we've done David Lynch movies on the podcast before, right? Like, we've done David Lynch projects on the podcast before, and, and people sometimes get too distracted by all of bells and whistles and dreamy scape stuff, but like at the core of his stories, there's an emotional anchor there. And that's what I really appreciate about Talk To Me, especially for first-time filmmakers. They could have just gone with the 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 whole movie being set pieces of the scene of uh, Mia possessed and she's like throwing herself around or when Riley gets possessed, he's banging his head and trying to pull his eyeball out. Like, You could easily just have that be the movie. I mean, that's what the new Exorcist movie seems to be. And see, there's another one, The Exorcist, the original story. You can get rid of the exorcism, and it's still a story about a mother trying to help her daughter. That's what you get out of it. Yeah. No, it's. I think the the themes are handled quite well. We've got obviously got some heavy themes there. You've got suicide, depression, drug use, all those kind of things, and you've got a bit of you know teenage trying to find themselves and fit in with uh, you know, like um, peer pressure of feeling lonely and out of place, and the things that you'll do to seem cool. I think it's touched on, you know, with the younger kid with the smoking, uh, you know, comments, and then you've got obviously the um, I'll be first to do. I'll I'll grab the hand. You know, I'm feeling <laughs> awkward and 
didn't feel like I need to impress everyone that you know I that I'm not worthy of you know that that attention or any of those thoughts. Um, you know, in four. You know, I, I don't know if it's their first, not their their debut film, of course, but obviously they've been making short films for a long time, and mm. um, I think they handled it quite well for it to uh, for um, for their first kind of open international debut. I can see why it was so popular at the South Australian uh, Film Festival for the you know twenty or so people that were probably there. Um, so yeah, it was great. I thought. It's got a good ensemble. You, you, you know that there are people who need to, and this is a strange thing too. Barely any deaths in the movie, really. Mm. There's like one at the beginning. Even the person who gets stabbed at the beginning is alive. Yeah, that was a surprise. That was a, that was a surprise. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a tradie. He's, yeah, he, he just shrugged that off. He shrugged, he shrugged yeah, it yeah, off. Yeah. He is strong. <laughs> he, he's fit. And obviously, our main character gets it in the end, but not really. Like a lot of there's a lot of maiming and and injuries was, and pain. And I yeah. was actually expecting Riley to die because. Uh, I appreciate that this movie doesn't hold its punches. It's like, yeah, we're going to fucking brutalize the children in the movie, so just expect that. <laughs> there were no like, and there's an, a technical animal death with the kangaroo thing, but it's not like they they stab the dog or anything. Yeah. They, they set up the dog so much in the movie. I was expecting something bad to happen oh, to yeah, the dog the because. Dog. They do that in movies. Uh, Mm. The kissing scene, of course. The most tender, Mm. romantic Mm. scene Mm. I've ever seen in a movie. The closest two characters get in the whole film. It is the closest two characters (laughs) get in the whole film. Uh, Yeah. Well, I think you're forgetting about the feet sucking, but sure. I mean, the kissing of the dog had a tongue going Mm. down another's throat. So I think that's pretty... I think I sit corrected. Mm. You Mm. sit corrected and now you stand It's an excellent use of a (laughs) gross-out moment, I think. It's probably... That's very much stuck in my mind uh, (laughs) since since walking away from (laughs) the the film. The the Catholic boy is kissing the dog. Uh, Oh, no. I, I... I liked Riley as a character. They 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 set him up nicely as like the young innocent one who wants to do more, and they, that's they, a, that's yeah. a that's a archetype you see a lot. But they they did it. They fleshed him out, and the performance I think is really good yeah. too. He he like from the beginning, he seemed like oh this is our main character I guess. Yeah, they play with that. They play with you with that, and it's like, oh, he's going to be the secondary main character, and he is in a lot of ways. Mm. He's the victim mm. of the movie. Yeah. You mentioned it before, but when he's in the hospital, like he's like a a melted face away from being like the toxic Avenger. That was horrifying. He looked rough, didn't he? Yeah. When, when he started banging his head again, when he woke mm. up and he was like hitting the back, and the tile breaks, and he's like licking the blood. It's very gross. This mm. movie's very unflinchingly gross. There is. Some stuff that I don't care for. Um, they get people in and out of hospitals real easy. <laughs> and I know that, that was they're, one they're, of the big ones. And it's like, okay, they're in Adelaide. Adelaide is still in like a, a, a city-like area. They're not in like like some really it, small it, country town. It's a ca- it is a capital city of Australia. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, and, the and, and one of them, one of the mothers works there. So it's like, yeah, I think all the nurses would like be like. Yeah, because she's a nurse, right? The mother's a nurse? I thought she was. Was she? I couldn't remember. I couldn't catch what she was. Uh, I, maybe I misinterpreted. I, I thought I, she worked. She was so familiar with everyone there that I assumed, and she works weird hours. So I was like, oh, you know how movies work? Where it's like, mm. you work, parent works weird hours like that because they're I, I a guess nurse. that is, yeah, 24-7 maybe, job. Maybe I'm mistaken. I didn't catch but... what her job was because it, it the the details of her job never really factored in. It was just that she's 
like the times she was annoyed but (laughs) that was weird they kept getting people in and out of hospitals so much the ending of it where our main girl somehow managed to unhook him from a million different things get him into a wheelchair get him into a wheelchair sprint him across the car park yeah across the car park (laughs) I know she's possessed in a way but I don't know if the movie said she has super strength and speed because she managed to get all of that happening real fast like the mother must have left realistically the mother must have left Mia in there for two hours when I'm, <laughs> because it's like so ludicrous and she's when like she, screaming when she she's brings, screaming and no one thinks maybe I should go in there when she brings in the nurse and says like oh where, where's my son I was expecting the nurse to have like a reaction of like oh well th- that lady took her there and she's trustworthy but it was like she should be here it's like oh you don't even know yeah, I thought it would at least. I be found a- that more realistic mm-hmm. than oh, a random woman mm-hmm. took this obviously comatose boy. It's more realistic, but also it, it goes with the whole thing of like no one saw them taking the body out. Uh, this is the problem. They needed the ending, and so mm. they have to reverse engineer things. But yeah, it's that- like for everything being as pretty realistic as possible, especially when it comes to the actual people we're spending time with. That was the moment where I'm like, uh, come on. With me, it was that moment and the basically the two scenes where r- possessed Riley's like injuring himself. Like I kept saying, like re- restrain him. Like people weren't trying to restrain him in like the the house. Yeah, they were just like kind of letting. Like guys, you, you guys know well, you guys are good at restraining. And again, that's why Jade was great. She did one of the smartest things I've ever seen in a movie, which is she put her fucking arm and hand over the thing he's hitting his head against, and yeah. she, like, fucked up her as hand as she, doing it, but I'm like, thank you, she Jade. She entered the room, immediately saw something was wrong, was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, what happened to those two fucking drug dealer characters? One of them is, like, a full-grown man, of, like, he's, he's so he's huge, role, he's, like, a giant Maori guy, and role, he did nothing yeah. to stop this. His role is literally to restrain, it's like, do, do it. I'll give the second one some leeway. Yeah. Because Their job's to just, blow out the candle. The sister, the sis, because you're talking about the second one where it was just the sister looking after Riley and he flipped out and in the hospital bathing in the hospital scene. in the bathing scene. That's oh another yes, scene. yeah. I'll give that one leeway because it was just her. He just bit her fucking mm-hmm. hand and it was like pretty brutal. And it's a slippery room, like it's tiles yeah. and everything. And she did try, but it's like, and you're, also yeah. it's like she was also scared. She's also like a teen yeah. girl yeah. having to deal with like a. That one I can that buy one a little bit buy, more, yeah. Like that one's tough. Like that one's easy. Like that one I can forgive because it's like physically the environment is tough to do it in. But I agree that the the big scene where they're doing the big possession. I'm like, come on! I know you got the belt, but geez. yeah, I know, I know you guys were impressed by how this was going before. But at this point, like big guy, your job is to restrain. <laughs> it yeah. is strange in movies like this. You have characters and uh, they're meat. You look at them like, oh, they're gonna get brutalized or killed in some way when we did friday the 13th last year it was like that's what the movie was like that character kevin bacon isn't a character he's just meat mm. and i thought these these two guys with the hand or you've got uh, uh the riley's dipshit friend and and even you know uh jade's boyfriend i was expecting them like oh they're the bodies mm. and then they're not and i found it okay but in a weird way i was kind of annoyed because those exact characters i mentioned disappear from the film like i can't tell you what happened to them well the the riley's friend absolutely disappears once the possession thing happens and i guess that ties into the whole thing of like oh they weren't really that close like he was even joking beginning like i need a new best friend yeah um the boyfriend 
weirdly enough does come back like when he because he was kind of set up as like oh he's the catholic one to be really fucked up fucked up things must happen to him and like yeah when he was possessed he was like doing really sexual stuff Mm. and then he storms out but then in the montage he's back yeah it's like oh i I guess he i guess he chilled out and he he was throughout the film still there but like he did stuff but then yeah ending wise i didn't really feel much of a like he he was like even after the feet sucking thing he was still with the group in like the scenes but at that point he stopped really contributing and he was just like you know supporting characters i think it got to the point where uh jade had finally uh clocked onto the fact that there might be something happening between her boyfriend and his Mm. (laughs) ex-girlfriend like yo you were sleeping you were sleeping together i think i think it was the scene where um like she pretty much was just like, yeah, okay, don't touch me. <laughs> the, mm. the relationship's over. That's the that's the last time we see him. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's. I think that's that's an interesting thing that brings on the, the Catholic vibe that he had the whole sexually repressed, mm. you know, kind of thing going on with the dog. And um, there were a few characters that kind of yeah, disappeared um, fairly and, quickly. And and we get little hints of things, and we don't know if they're just spirits playing tricks or if it's true. Like. Is the boyfriend, is he gay, perhaps? Because they kind of make little references like, you make him soft, and he doesn't actually like your type. Or is he just being mean to that specific girl? Is that how he just feels about that girl, but not Mia? Like, is he, you know, the Catholic thing is something that I actually didn't really think too much about. But the more you keep bringing it up, Bartek, the more layers it adds to that individual player in this story, because he is really the only one with a spiritual background in any of this, but he doesn't. He's not like, oh, I can't do this because no, he's like, well, I, a I just, dude. It's I never just, confirmed by him. Yeah. He doesn't say. It. He never says it. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it is something put on him. Mm. It's like, yeah. Character. Well, when he when he gets possessed, like he gets possessed by the most ironic spirit that could possibly be. The most yeah. obvious one too, yeah. like the classic like exorcist, where it's like you know your mm. mother sucks, sucks cocks in hell time, yeah. the gross, and they're like and, this and, one's a cunt. and even before like they established in like the conversation with the mum, it's like he's ultra Christian. He's still got a dick. And then, like, when the mum, like, is interrogating him, he's just, like, being genuine, like, I, I don't drink. I, I'm just mm-hmm. here for the thing. And the mum's like, oh, yeah, yeah, what's your plans? It's like, I, I don't know. He's, like, genuinely innocent. Real I, I smooth. Saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're good. Yeah, you're you're good. good. You're good. She was great. I loved her. Miranda Otto is a great actress. She's been in a million things. She's always great. If you put her in... It's almost like you're certifying it as a genre movie. She's been Lord of the Rings. She was in the Sabrina TV show recently. You know, she's she was in uh, What Lies Beneath. We did that last year. Oh yes, yeah. you were saying that. Uh, I was mentioning that before the pod. She's just one of those Aussie actresses that you you just go, all right, that's the person in the movie that has a name. Like everyone else are newcomers. They're they're all up and coming, or they've done some stuff. I'll actually say like. Uh, I was reading some of the trivia and there was like oh, things I didn't know. I was like, oh, okay, like this con- this mo- this country banned the movie because there's like a trans actor mm, in the yeah. movie. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that there was a trans person in this movie yeah, before right, be- reading that trivia point. Because- and then I look up that, yeah. that performer and they've had a very extensive career. Like they're in a bunch of TV shows and like really good roles. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like they're like in this thing and this thing. I'm like, oh, all right. And then I look up our main actress and she has played very few roles, but they're very weird. And I just wanted to let you know, Bartek, about this. So the actress's name is Sophie Wilde. Yeah. Right. I and read that she started acting like this decade, I think. Yeah. Well, she's like yeah. four years younger than us. So that's pretty So cool. get this. Her name is Sophie Wilde. She was in a movie after this one 
called The Portable Door, which has Miranda Otto in it. Mm -hmm. And she plays a character named Sophie. Okay. And then after that, she was in a TV show where she plays a character named Sophia. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she's in a TV show where she plays a character named Mia. Mm -hmm. Like this film. (laughs) Like this film. And that's literally her filmography. So Sophie's and Mia's. She's characters named Sophie, Sophia, Mia, and Mia. Very weird. I like... I'm sure one day she'll get more next roles year, next where year, they get characters without next those year names. it'll be next year it'll be Sophie Mia Sophie Mia yeah yeah Mia fee <laughs> it's in her contract probably that yeah. you know, yeah. all the character names have to have some kind of play on Mia's but eventually she'll do a film where she's named like a forest and you know the, the career will just completely tank uh, that that does add a layer to a movie as well we've talked about this in which you have a cast of unknown faces to you. Because, as I mentioned it before, what, li- what Lies Beneath, it's just a small film in which it's Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. And that whole film is about playing on the expectations of what you expect of those famous faces. Oh, Harrison Ford is a nice guy. So you're going to watch a movie where he's a nice guy, wink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's like, oh, but this, they're all fresh faces. I don't know who any of them are, mm-hmm. so I don't think about any baggage that comes with actors' previous roles other than Miranda Otto, and I just look at her as like, oh, she's a mark of quality. Like, you have her in there, yeah, it's a real Aussie movie, you know, yeah. like, you have that in there. Yeah, I, I haven't seen too many horror films, as we've talked about, so, you know, I always look forward to Spooky Month, but it seems to be the stereotype is like, oh, a lot of horror films will have a lot of, you know, teenaged characters, they won't be very likable, and they'll kind of exist to die in the end, or as you said before, they're meat. Um, so just even the simple fact that I can walk away from this film, you know, liking a lot of the characters is a big plus. Now, are there any other moments or observations or things people want to bring up before we put this, uh, to a close, uh, Bartek for you? A visual I liked was, um, in, in the hospital scene where they were doing, you know, our, our favorite moment of like, oh, let's try to get the catatonic guy to do the yeah. thing um when the little girl ghost showed uh the riley spirit like in like hell basically in like hell surrounded by all these people it just looked like a big mound of flesh that he was stuck in i thought that was really creepy it looked like a ramstein video like music <laughs> video that's what it made me think of like is this ramstein or slipknot the video music video i like that apparently there's a director's cut of this movie that's 20 minutes longer and there's like a that hell sequence is like four minutes long and i'm like <laughs> i would live there oh wow i would four live minutes. there for sure i would live there for sure talking about great camera work scene there was a sequence where she went to bed Mm. And then she woke up and, and she's standing and she just walks across the room and she like hugs the boyfriend and they kind of like embrace and dance. And then you get the whole sequence of like the dad tearing down the door and getting the mother's body out of there. And I like just that too, because this film takes place, a lot of it in houses at nighttime. And so although we don't get a lot of like, ooh, it's actually physically dark because we're inside with lights on, there is this just kind of uh, lacking light feel to this. So when you had mm. that sequence where she wakes up and there's like a beam of sunlight, and it's like not natural <laughs> sunlight, but like movie sunlight where it's like obviously dreamy. I just kind of love that aesthetic mm. for the choice. And I'm a big sucker for when you when you make uh, a thing that's usually one way and you turn it the other way. So it's like, oh, she's sleeping, but then she just throws the sheet off and she just is physically walking. I'm like, oh, I love that. I love that in theater. I love that <laughs> yeah. in movies. It's just always a fun effect. Yeah. And, and speaking of lighting, I'll, I love the fact that the book, the film book ends us with 
a long single shot mm. scene. It's like the the scene of the party at the beginning and the hospital sequence at the end. Yeah, Nelson, for you, any other? Yeah, some really uh, great creative uh, film choices with uh, the camera work. I feel like took a lot of opportunities to kind of go outside the uh, the standard expectation. I think at the end when they've got. Uh, he, Riley, and they're going down the hill towards the highway, and you know she, she's fully possessed and fully taken over, and um, she decides at the end to sacrifice herself instead. She she realizes, I think I think it's implied she realizes that it's whatever she breaks gets. Yeah, I was going to ask what your interpretations yeah. of the ending are with that because I couldn't tell. It's like, did she throw herself? Did the spirits, or did her friend push her because yeah, she's right. like trying to kill her brother? I I uh, currently my understanding is that she well obviously not though but anyway my my understanding was that she clocked on to the fact that it wasn't her mum because she I think the spirit says we will take care of him or mm-hmm. whatever implying that I think she initially was saying I'll take care of me mm-hmm. me you know and then she goes we'll take care of her and he's like you know getting really into it um, and that's when she decides to throw herself onto the highway uh, and what I thought was what really caught my attention was the shot they had inside the car when mm-hmm. they're driving down the highway and it's all like from what well, looks pretty real from uh, you know the, the body hits the car and then the car drives off and hits the side and the airbags deploy and you know from anyone that's actually been in a car accident I felt that was, that was quite uh, realistic and another kind of horror oh, kind of shock moment so stressful because they yeah. were like behind the really big van so they couldn't even see what was going on and the van is dodging yeah. yeah that's what makes them have to swerve and then hit her such a because short the, reaction time because the yeah. van didn't even like the truck or in front didn't hit her it, it swerved to avoid her and then then they hit her it's like yeah it's real that was a real yeah. great shot and I love those kind of you know it's not a Hollywood spectacular moment, but it's so grounded that it still has like an effect, a shock effect, which I mm. thought was really, you know, you didn't have to have that at all, you know, you know, but they yeah. decided to do it and it had a great effect. Loved it. Yeah. I, I don't know my, you know, locked in solidified uh, interpretation of the end. I just think that she was tricked the whole way through. Mm-hmm. So the result mm-hmm. at the end was not what she was intending. That's that's as far as Did I've Did you pick up while watching it uh, that the, the, there was a drowned spirit that was just manipulating her the whole, pretty much the whole way through? My reading is Riley did see her mum. And that was her mum. Yes. For a time. And then they went over because he was possessed for two minutes, apparently. <laughs> and then, like, a bunch. And the idea is, like, he got multiple spirits in him. And that's why they're multiple fucking with him. But I thought that was really her mum when mm. she was like, I'm proud of you. Don't feel upset about what I did. Because that lines up. Yeah, because he gets uh, the letter. Uh, yeah. I don't think I necessarily caught on that it was the same drowned spirit the whole way through. But like I mentioned before, most of the spirits that we saw in the film. You know, they felt they looked very icky to me, so I, I did at least catch on to that visual element of them. And then our main character became icky. Mm. She was all blood covered and like, uh, like uh, you know, burns on her skin from like hitting the asphalt and all that, and and her fingers are all bent and twisted up, and she has her dream. She's living her dream where she looks in a mirror and she doesn't see herself. Mm. That was her nightmare. Mm. Yeah, and I love. Riley's like, I don't have nightmares. I was thinking at some point, like, oh, it'd be kind of cool if we saw like the other side of the the whole spirit possession thing, the handshake. Mm. And yeah, we get that ending sequence where like she sees the hand over the 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 candle and she shakes it, and it's just these guys that we've never seen before. Clearly, a group of people that know each like other. Like a hipster. Yeah, like uh, probably in like Spain or something mm-hmm. or Mexico. 
um, and they say the lines, and she's shocked, like, oh, my God. And it makes you wonder, like, oh, all those fucked up people that we saw before, because they looked creepy, you know, we assumed that, you know, they, we assumed that they knew what was going on, but maybe they were also not cottoning onto the fact that, like, what's going on here? Yeah, exactly. So it makes you question, like, are all of the spirits malicious? Are all of them confused as well? Or is, like, some are, some aren't? It's like, yeah. yeah. Like with people, there's there's shades. Yeah, there's, this, there's many different types. Yeah, this film still has a fear of the unknown factor because we don't have all the answers. And it, the ending is a great... The character has paid for their sins and now they must live in the torment of the thing that they were chasing after. But also, from a filmmaking standpoint, it's like, oh, the cycle continues. It doesn't end. It's not like they smashed the hand and said, we ended the cycle and now it will never be continuing. They could make another movie of this if they so wanted to. But if they don't, it is perfectly contained here. This is very reminiscent of uh, of things like Candyman and, and Hellraiser, where it's like you have your little story and it's done. You could do more and they do more and it's fine, but it doesn't ruin the sanctity of the first film uh, where it was just this thing in which it's left as something that could continue on. It's not like when we did Wish Upon, where Wish Upon has like a post credit sting of oh, yeah. like he finds the wish box and now it will happen again. Ooh, and it's like it it's a sequel tease. While this again very much is is a tapestry back into the main character's psyche yeah, and how that they are fulfilling their own self-destruction. This, this hand thing has existed and continues to exist and this film is following this group of people who have come across the hand. And now, Nelson, you're gonna have to hear Bartek. Uh-oh. recommend a movie after <laughs> your great recommendation because this was a really great recommendation and a great one to cap off spooky month this this ties in with a lot of things that we've been doing during the month we we did the black coat's daughter which was the cinematic debut of a f- horror movie maker with oz perkins the son of anthony perkins the legendary actor and that was like a slow burn movie uh character study we did uh george romero's martin and again where it takes the understanding of what is a traditional supernatural tale and bends it to do intensive character work and you know we've we've been having a pretty uh good discussions on this spooky month with also like the is it real is it not like the Mm. supernatural elements are here to throw you in one way and then pull you in another and i've just really liked how this has gone and so when talk to me was recommended i was like oh here we go it's gonna be like the they're gonna get the scene where the the possessed body like levitates into the air and throws itself out a window and we're gonna have like kill count like no it's not really that at all and so Mm. i was pleasantly surprised i really liked yeah i really liked how the horror was something that the characters had to go to it wasn't just something that existed and can get anyone yeah and so bartek mm-hmm. what is your recommendation for the next episode spooky month is over yeah. so you're going to recommend a non-spooky movie non-spooky of course and a foreign film yes we're on to my uh non-hollywood pick um and i think i'm stretching it with a little bit with this one oh, no. <laughs> um and also it's good that we just had a film that you know we all enjoyed because this is a film that uh, a lot of people really fucking hate <laughs> oh no <laughs> um so i am recommending a french film oh no um but th- there's really 
you know, there's so many Hollywood actors in it that it almost doesn't feel like a French film. And I had to look it up really carefully. And this is not a co-production with America, so it is a French film. And it's by a director that we've worked, uh, we've done a film on for the podcast oh. when we did The Fifth Element. Oh, no! So, <laughs> We're doing... so it's Luc Besson. Oh, no. Can I guess which one it is? Yeah. Are we doing Valerian? No. Okay. No. <laughs> Thank you. And also you were saying before about how, oh, we've done films that like played with our notions of something. This is a film that... Oh, uh, no, we're doing Lucy, aren't we? We're doing Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in the cinema. Same back here. to back with Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. And I'll tell you which one I liked more next week. <laughs> when we do Lucy. Oh, we should get Oliver on. <laughs> he hates Lucy That's why so we should much. get him on. You should contact him and say, Hey, buddy, next week we're doing this. Want to come on the pod? <laughs> we haven't seen you in five years. Let's bring you back on. For Lucy, a movie that is very wild... It has stock footage in it, unironically. But it doesn't have Sophia Wild. No, you're right. It doesn't have... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll be talking about Lucy, the film in which Scarlett Johansson answers the question of if she got really, really smart, what would happen? If she used 100% of her brain. If she used 100%. If Morgan Freeman was in the same film twice that year, what would it look like? Because he was in that movie Transcendence with Johnny Depp, in which it was also like, I've increased my brain capacity so much, I'm becoming a computer. And, and Morgan Freeman plays like the the genius science guy who's like, here's how it works. I'm Morgan Freeman. I like money. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. So, yeah, it's weird because I guess it is a French movie, right? Like, yeah. it's also it's like French... an Asian movie too because there's like a lot of Asian actors in it too. Uh, so we'll be talking about Lucy next time on the pod. Uh, thank you, Nelson, for so much for coming on, joining us, discussing uh, a movie. Uh, it's been great to have you on here, and who knows, maybe down the road we'll have you on again. Absolutely. Thank maybe, you for having me, guys. No, maybe pleasure. we'll recommend Thanks. you a film. Uh-oh. Homework. <laughs> I was never good with that, but I'll, I'll do Bartek, my best. you were there. Was he, was he bad with homework at school? I never assigned him homework. <laughs> yeah, but you were, you were a, a fellow student. You could have seen, like, he would have been like, oh, man, I'm not doing homework. I'm going to be too busy lighting up doobies. <laughs> Filming people on with shaking the, hands. You always did the drama homework. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, what was that? You had to rehearse and things like yeah. that. There yeah. you go. You were good at that. Right. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening as well. Thank you for tuning in to our 2023 spooky month and for listening to our podcast. We've been at it for a few years now, haven't we, Bart? Yeah, we just passed the eight-year mark. Eight lucky years. Mm-hmm. When we get to ten, if we get to ten, if the world survives that phenomenon, we should really celebrate it with like a Paul Giamatti horror film. I don't know when he's done a horror movie, but I'm well, sure let's... it's in Sideways is pretty he's, scary. He's got... He drinks wine a lot in there. <laughs> he's got like just under two years to make one for us to do. Oh, I know one. He's in a movie called Morgan, which is Ridley Scott's son directed a movie in which it's do you remember that film Splice by any chance? Not really. Oh, okay. It's kinda of like Splice, but Diff- but like if if it was a sexy young lady and Paul Giamatti's in the movie this is what I know about the movie Paul Giamatti's in it for like two scenes but they're incredible scenes so the basic pitch of Morgan is what if we did a clone like what if we what if we genetically engineered a lady but she had psychic crazy powers and and they're like let's bring Paul Giamatti in to be the psychiatrist to do a psyche vow but the thing is the thing is for some inexplicable reason Paul Giamatti plays it 
not as like a mild-mannered psychiatrist, but he plays it as if this guy is going through a midlife crisis and divorce, <laughs> and he's asking all of these questions with the most amount of Paul Giamatti aggression you could do, and I that's that's worth watching. Well, speaking of Paul Giamatti, Ryan, we're almost a dozen away from 400 episodes. So, so we're going to celebrate with yeah. the Nanny Diaries. The Paul G. Martin Nelson, just to explain, is our kind of like milestone actor. Like every time we hit an anniversary or like a milestone, we like to do a Paul G. Martin Because we started with a Paul G. Martin movie okay. with Big Fat Liar, the mm. Frankie Muniz film classic. And now we're going to end our podcast by saying thank you, Frankie, and thank you, Paul Giamatti. Uh, thank you so much. And Bartek, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you please remember to be kind to one another? Well, if I forget, then I'll need the listening people to contact us on Facebook at Spit and Polish Presents and at Twitter slash X at Spit and Polish, and to email us directly at spitandpolished at gmail.com. If you have film recommendations, we add them to our list. We did not add talk to me to that list. We just remembered it. I don't think we wrote it in the list, but we remembered no, it. No, I, I talked to Nelson, me, and he told me but, talk to but, that. But now it wasn't added to the list, so I can't mark it off. You know, well, the list. Add it to the list and mark it off. That's, it's not that it's done. The episode's done. I'm not doing it. That's, <laughs> a, that's, that's sacrilege. And you're going to Catholic prison, which is like regular prison, but, but worse. Way, way worse. A lot more dogs. Is Catholic prison a prison for Catholics or a prison run by Catholics? What would you say? Catholic prison. If you heard that <laughs> phrase, Catholic prison. Run by Catholics, I'm assuming. Uh, the Inquisition. You know, in Prison Break, the warden. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, Nelson, if you ever listen to this podcast, you're going to really acknowledge the fact that Bartek has like seven reference points. It's like GTA. It's like uh, Prison Break is going to be Euro Trip. Euro Trip. <laughs> Final Fantasy gets brought up from time to time. You also do. Um, ooh, it's been a while. Saved by the Bell. It's been a while. Since Saved by the Bell. Keenan and Kel get brought up for a lot as well. Uh, when Rachel's around. Uh, yeah, but Keenan and Kel do get brought up a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah I've named six. So yeah, got to yeah. work. So, out so what is Prison Break's reference point for this? So you mentioned Catholic prison. Do you want to know what the warden's name in Prison Break is? Is he John Francis? What, what? Pope. Oh, Warden Pope. And is he <laughs> religious? think so. Is he friends with Theodore Bagarelli or whatever his name is? Bagadoe. Teabag Theodore Bagwell? <laughs> I don't know if he... I don't know if Warden Pope... <laughs> I don't know if Warden Pope's friends with the pedophile, though. Nelson, Nelson gave this look like... That's not a real character's name. It is! It's 2008 American TV show. Prison Break, and that's T- how we end our episode. The guy episode. named Teabag, Theodore Watch Bagwell. the TV series Prison Break, in which one of the lead actors wrote a film that we watched. Yeah, we uh, Stoker. Yep, a really good film that we watched. Mm. With Nicole Kidman being a freak. <laughs>